Here we go, here we go. Uh, great, well, great to see you back. You know, this is called Low Sunday in the Church. The week after Easter is traditionally the lowest attendance across the nation in any church body. Everybody feels like they kind of got it in last week, and ooh, they're still exhausted. So welcome back on Low Sunday. It's great to see you. Let's pray here, and then we'll go. I feel really loud. Am I really loud? Feels. No, I'm not. I'm good. Okay, that's the Miracle Ear franchise who's ever thinks this isn't loud. So, uh, okay, well, I kind of try not to yell at you. Here we go. Um, Quasi Modo Genitai Sunday in the church here, Easter 1. Uh, like newborn babies, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 1, 3. Almighty and everlasting God, who through the death and resurrection of your Son has proclaimed to us the gospel of peace, grant that by the power of his resurrection we may be born anew to a living hope and so overcome the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That's an extraordinarily nice prayer that we overcome the world, which means we live in the way of the gospel for today, which is peace and forgiveness and Holy Spirit, um, rather than as the world lives. So we're otherworldly now because we're part of a resurrected body of Christ. Okay, welcome back. We've got a couple of things to do. Um, you know, I don't know if you can even remember where we were. Uh, sometimes that's hard after a couple of breaks. We've been talking about making a good confession. Um, anybody need this piece? Did you bring them back? I'm not guessing you brought them back. Did you bring them back? be stunning to me if you actually did. No, don't be like, I just didn't want to, so I have about 15 or 20, maybe 10. Ted, can you help me again? Anybody can have them, take them. Don't send them back to me. If you don't have one, take one. I just hate to print um, more than we need, but you won't need those for long. Um, we're at the Eighth, con- eighth Commandment. Um, I want to do, yes, please. <laughs> Carol, you're a very nice woman. Uh, the, the offering goes to walk-in assistance. We, we give a lot of, we could give, we could give $1,000 a day to walk-in assistance. People on the streets in Wheaton know that uh, we replenish our, our walk-in assistance the first of the month. By the second of the month, we're pretty much done, aren't we? I mean, people come for, we give gas cards, bus passes, food. After that, we just strictly um, give physical food. We don't give jewel cards anymore. And um, it's actually okay because uh, people who are on the streets need every last bit of help, and it's okay that they're organized enough to figure out that the first of the month is our day. We're happy to give them out. It's sad the other 30 days of the month, but the first day of the month is a good day. Uh, and occasionally people come early enough that they even come to the morning Eucharist, which is very nice. Occasionally, if, especially if it's raining or cold, we say, you know, just if they come early, we say, why don't you come into church and just, you know, relax and, and watch what happens, and then we'll give it, um, help you as we can when the office opens at 8. So anyway, um, as you can, I know uh, people are pulled in many directions, but uh, most of us are better off than um, the folks who pop in. So Um, the Eighth Commandment is really about the use of our tongue, and and, um, you know it's it's a difficult thing for us. Um, You're bright, uh, I'm bright. You're quick, I'm quick. We often speak before we think, and we forget the mother's dictum that there's a reason you have two ears and only one mouth, you know? We often forget that. 
So uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. I want to see if I can clear up any questions you have about it. But since I've talked about it um, several times in the past, um, I'll only stay with it if you want to stay with it. And then I want to talk about, um, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a, although this could fall into next week if we go on the first stuff, I want to give you a little bit of a prompt toward life together. Um, next week, again, will be the last two commandments. I think they can begun, be done together. They're very similar because they're about being satisfied with the life you've got rather than wanting somebody else's people or things, um, another man's wife or another man's car or house or job or whatever. Uh, and then we're going to talk about how to make wrongs right, uh, specifically thinking about John the Baptizer, where he says, um, bear fruits that befit repentance, or also uh, when Jesus some of the happiest stories for Jesus in the, in the New Testament are, uh, you know, when he's with the tax collectors or he's with Zacchaeus or he's with somebody who's done a horrible wrong, and they not only restore what they've done wrong, but they give two or three or four times uh, what they've taken or they, uh, you know, give away, you know, a lot of what they've got towards people they've cheated because they want the world to be, uh, they want to live in, well, in the words of the colic, they want to overcome the world. So I press you toward that. But first, we actually do need to talk about this, um, uh, partly because we're good at it, and partly because AOR um, spoke of it as our particular, uh, the, the sin we love most, perhaps, next, maybe only second to our idols, when we make things our idols. So we need to talk about this. And if you just have a look, we're on page 10. If you don't have one or didn't have one, it's okay. I mean, we'll, uh, we'll figure it out. But... Uh, and part of the problem here is this is so easy. It's, it's just so natural. It's just so easy. You know, often people who would never raise their fist against somebody else uh, will quickly raise their tongue, me included. I mean, this is just, it just comes easy to put the worst construction on things, assume motives, um, you know, just to, to, to fight, return in kind. It's easy. It's natural. It's uh, our most basic subhuman instinct, if you'll understand that properly. Um, so, you know, the, the joy is getting back to Eden and living as uh, people in heaven live without this. So here we go. Don't give false testimony against your neighbors. We should fear and love God. And, and it's always interesting that the catechism starts that way because it presumes um, that we do fear and love God and that we want what he wants, right? That's what faith is. We want what God wants. We fear and love God. Uh, and just by the by, I was struck by John 14 and 16 over this this is the octave week of Easter, and the morning readings, um, two or three times of the five, were about, if you love me, you'll obey me. It's John 14, is it, Pastor? John 15. Um, Jesus says to his disciples, three or four times in ten verses, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you do what I command. I love the Father, I do what he commands. If you love me, you do what I command. If you do what I command, you do what the Father commands, and life is good. It's such a it's such a gospely kind of word. Um, come live in a new place, live in a new way, and the commandments start that way. We should fear and love God, so we don't tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. I just want to put a little commentary on that, but I don't want to put it on too hard. But I do want you to observe this. Um, this doesn't mean to be gullible. And we're going to talk about that toward the end when we talk about justice and injustice. It doesn't mean to be gullible, but frankly, being gullible is not our problem mostly. 
So when somebody does something and it looks like it's tainted with sin, um, you know, we trust but verify. You know, we, we think about it, and we start with the best construction. But um, when it happens over and over again, part of the, part of the deal is to be, um, you know, as the ancients said, a confessor needs a thousand ears and a thousand eyes. Or Jesus said, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. It's both of those things. But at least please start with the best construction. And then if you get a repeated pattern of bad behavior that you just can't explain any other way, then you may have to move to this. But we would all be much better off if more occasionally we could say he was just having a bad day um, and recognize the predicament that we're all in, which is that we're sinners and need to be forgiven and that we struggle to live within that forgiveness. So I just... I just want to give you that, okay? So as you make a good confession, here's the gift. My God has given me a good name and a reputation that I might cover my neighbor's sins and shortcomings with mercy. Isn't that great? So remember, I don't know if you remember even the, 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 the name of this course is Justice and Mercy, right? In order to preserve his name and reputation in the community. It very easily goes to love God and serve your neighbor. You're going to love God by doing what he says, and you're going to serve your neighbor by putting the best construction on him, talking well about him, and telling the truth. I think one of the things we really miss about Eden is that it was an envelope of truth. To be in Eden was to live in the truth. You could trust everything and everybody. Which I just, you know, that's a great way to live. If you have a great relationship with your kid, and you can trust your kid, and your kid trusts you, that's a whole different kind of parenting than if you can't. You've all had relationships, I hope, where you've trusted somebody implicitly. You know somebody who would never give you up no matter what happens. That's the greatest kind of relationship. And the worst kind of relationship is when somebody who you thought would never give you up does, in fact, give you up. And that is the deepest pain. It's no accident um, that Judas, uh, with his kiss, uh, the ultimate act of hospitality and respect, betrayed the Lord. Um, it's a paradigm for every other sin. Every sin is a betrayal of God and your neighbor. Every sin is a betrayal. However, you know, betrayal can be forgiven, and, uh, you know, the Lord loves us. So here we go. Have I told the truth in court or in school before the authorities, before my parents, when I knew the truth? So if you know the truth, you tell it uh, when it's appropriate, of course. Some things are confidential. Um, The truth between you and your doctor, you and your pastor, you and your lawyer. But this is talking about kind of normal life. Have I been afraid to bear witness when I knew the truth and it was necessary to speak up as as a wrongdoer or speak for a victim? It was fascinating when John Kleinig was here. Um, John Kleinig is, you know, one of the two or three most brilliant Lutheran theologians in the world right now who has spent the last five or six years of his life battling heresy charges that were politically motivated, uh, which is just a fascinating dichotomy that the guy who knows the most is brought up on heresy, which is often what happens. Because um, people who don't know as much think it's wrong, or people who want to get at them uh, have a go at them. Uh, When he was here, I talked to him about that. He's been completely exonerated now, cleared, and is stronger than ever. And the church in Australia recognizes that. But um, when he talked about the toll that was taken uh, on him, and we talked about it, he said, um, from the beginning, I determined not to defend myself. It's the way of Jesus. Now, we often think when somebody doesn't defend themselves, you often think, I often think, what do you think about them? If they don't defend themselves, they're, they're guilty. 
And of course, Jesus, like a lamb led to slaughter, he opened not his mouth. So John trusted himself to the community to speak for him. And thank God they did, or the Lutheran Church would have lost one of its brightest lights. Um, It's your responsibility when you know the truth to speak it. It is your responsibility as a Christian under serving your neighbor. It's love God and serve your neighbor. It's your responsibility when you hear a lie to stand up and say, that's not true. It is not enough to walk away. Walking away is for infants. Walking away is for babies in the faith. That's not most of you. It is your responsibility to stand up and say the truth. Now we're going to read some Luther in just a second. And uh, you've got to make sure that what you're saying is the truth. And that's verifiable. And just as a throwaway, you remember that um, for normal lay people, you need one or two witnesses. <clears throat> and in First Timothy, it says you need double witnesses for charges against a pastor because it's so easy to get at pastors. Often when things go wrong and people hate God, they can't get a hand on God, so they get a hand on their pastor. Um, often what pastors do is misunderstood. And often pastors do things... Uh, with people, and they remain silent, and the people tell all kinds of stories outside, which are not, in fact, true, and the pastor's responsibility is to remain quiet. Um, And only in dire circumstances would he speak. Uh, So it's up to you to speak truth, and it's up to you not to listen, as Luther and our confessions are going to say. We're bound by that. Um, When somebody speaks ill of somebody else, it is not enough to walk away It is not enough to be silent. To be Christian is to be active. Luther, the Confessions. Faith is a living and an active thing. Faith does its work. So that's horribly important. Um, The commandments don't have just a negative impact. Stay away from that. They have a positive impact. Please do this. This is the life of Christ. So Christ didn't speak for himself. But we're in Acts now in the, in the liturgical calendar. We hear that as the first lesson. And it's all about people speaking for Christ. They didn't do a good job at first, but they got way better. Any questions just about that? It's horribly important to understand that. Okay? So it's not enough to walk away. It's not enough to be silent. Christians speak. They speak kindly. They speak truth. Truth, as you'll see, is verified by data, by witnesses, by what's objective. It has almost nothing to do with emotion. Because in scripture, it's always the data and then the emotion. First the thinking, then the feeling. That's the order in scripture. If it were about the feeling, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. But no, the data was, there's one name under heaven given among men by which we're saved. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the hard data. It wasn't fun, it didn't feel good. And he was able to cap his emotions and do what he'd been able to, what he was told, sent to do in obedience. And that's the life of Christ. Emotions are fine. Thinking is fine. Redeemed emotion is fine. Redeemed thinking is fine. But it goes in an order. It is the thinking and then the doing. That's horribly important, and that's all tied up in this particular um, commandment. Still okay? I know I've got a broad brush going here, and I already know I'm not going to get finished, but it's going to be okay because it's horribly important to understand this. Um, Let's see. Have I gossiped, delighted in telling others about the faults and mistakes of another, excusing myself, especially by saying that I spoke only the truth? 
uh, I've talked to you about to, I've talked about this in every venue since I've been here. But you know, gossip. One of the reasons it feels so right is that it feels so right. Uh, it gives you power over somebody else. They're not there. You're there with somebody else. You've got an innocent victim. You tell. They think you're smart. They think you're powerful. They think you're wise. They think you're true. And you've also gained an ally. That's why gossip feels so good. It appeals to power. It appeals to strength. It appears to appeal to authority and organization, all, although those things themselves are lies. Recall then that Satan is the father of lies. Okay? Have I gone to others to make peace if I wrong them? Or they me? Or to correct them if I knew they're wrong? That's just Matthew 18. You know, if you do something wrong, go confess it. Uh, if somebody does something wrong to you, go talk to them about it. And real honestly, um, it's your responsibility as a Christian to hear them out. Not to be abused necessarily, or not to let them sin against you again, but it is your responsibility to listen to a brother or sister who believes they have a grievance against you. It's not your responsibility to let them continually beat on you because that doesn't help their spiritual life. To let somebody remain in sin does not help their spiritual life. We can see it really clearly if somebody drinks or takes drugs. We say, boy, that's not good for you. You should stop. We're not as clear about it with how we speak and how we think, but we need to be. It's very important. Okay? Have I slammed the stories to my benefit? This is just the easiest thing for me to do, for you to do. This is so easy. We have our own perspective. We like to be right. Have I slammed the stories to my benefit or deceived others by withholding some elements of the story? Uh, that's a difficult one, too. The whole truth. There's a reason you raise your hand and say the whole truth, along with nothing but the truth. Okay, that's very important. Have I found ways gladly and willingly to explain in the best possible way the words and actions of others who hurt me? Um, I'll say it now in case I forget to say it again. I've been musing lately about how language really only has two purposes. Um, every word has, is meant to hurt or meant to heal. Um, Every word is meant to hurt or to help. I'm not making, just for you who are clever, I'm not making a law-gospel distinction there because both the law and the gospel are holy and they're always meant to help. So I'm not tying it to feeling. If a pastor preaches the law to you and it stings you, he did that to help you. But in our own dealings, our own human words, they always hurt or always help. What this is begging you to do is always speak in a way it helps the other person. What it begs me to do, and this you know, is so difficult because you have to calm yourself, you have to not react, you have to speak evenly. But can you speak in a way where the focus is off yourself and on the other person? So what you want most for the person who's really screwed you is to see them repent, be forgiven, and restored to the community. Is that what you want most when you talk? Is that what I want most when I talk? And it's difficult because we all have passions. We all feel violated at times. We are sensitive to injustice, especially against ourselves. Uh, But we're trying to get better, friends. And there it is right there. Okay? Have I defended my neighbor when things said about my neighbor have made others think badly about them? That's what it is to be in community and relationship. You can't walk away. You can't be silent. You must speak. You might remember all this toward the voters' meetings, just by the by. Um, 
speak. You know, it's not going to be great if everybody sits in a room and doesn't say anything. You can speak, but speak in a way that helps your neighbor and speak in a way that pleases Christ. You know, that should, we should be able to do that. Have I learned to bear with the weaknesses and faults of others, covering their shame? Can we say about other people, you know, they're just new at this, being a Christian, or they're just having a bad day. This is not an excuse to let people sin the same sins over and over again for 20 years. At some point, the community needs to help them. Pastors are meant to help them. Um, but, you know, is that really our issue? Is that really your issue? Maybe we could work on this one, bearing with each other um, in weaknesses and even faults. You know, it's one thing to be weak. It's quite another to sin against other people and, or to have people sin against you and then try to bear with them. You know, it's, that's hard to do, you know. But if this was, you know, remember the whole letter of James is written about how, remember in James how it says the tongue is like the rudder on a ship. You remember that? The tongue is like a rudder on a ship. So you got this very tiny thing eh, um, that moves the whole ship. It's not an accident that the Eucharist is put on your tongue. Uh, you know, put the patch where the pain is, right? Have I been faithful in keeping the secrets of another's heart entrusted in me in confidence? Um, that would mean somebody who says to you, I desperately need help about myself. But I will say one of the great fallacies, not just in our congregation, in our Lutheran church, but in the broad church, William Williman. I know it's other places because I've read pastors write about it. William Williman's written this brilliant thing. Three or four pages about false confidentiality. So this is a common thing that happens here. Somebody says, now I'll need your confidence and I need to tell you something. Now, when somebody says that to you, what do you think they're going to tell you? What are you presuming, I hope? Put the best construction on it. What do you think they're going to tell you? What do you think? I've got a problem. I've lost my job. Um, my kid's suffering. I'm really struggling with this particular sin. What often follows that in congregations? Hey, I don't want you to tell anybody this, but what often follows? Gossip. Or, I'm I heard, yes, or don't, do you know that, or what follows is often gossip. So if I come to you and say that, I'm going to talk to you in confidence, and I say horrible things about her, you're caught. Because what's happened is your relationship with me has changed, you've been drawn into a lie, and your relationship with her has changed, you're suspicious of her now, and I've won, because now I have control over both of you. That's why it feels so good. Because I've controlled your, what you think of her, and I've controlled how you respond to her. So I've hurt you, and I've hurt you, all under the guise of confidence. There is no such thing in the church as that kind of confidence. The only confidence you have in the church, frankly, is at the confessional. You might have some other confidences, should a congregation choose, like not revealing what people give. But you certainly don't have a confidence um, with gossip or with somebody else's sin, that violates the Eighth Commandment. If she should come to you and say, um, or if I should come to you, if I should come to you and say, she's absolutely horrible, this is what we've done, what should her response be? What's her response? It's important you get this, because you you if you don't know it, you won't do it. If I come and say, she is horrible, and I can tell you all the reasons why, by the way, what's, what's her response supposed to be? I don't think so, is one, put one possibility, and then, Eric, let's go talk to her. 
It's a false confidence. It's a lying confidence. It is a sinful confidence. Because if we don't go talk, let's say it's true. If we don't go talk to her, what does that do to her? It isolates her and leaves her in her sin. And when you leave somebody in your sin and isolate them, you what? Kill them. You hate them. When you won't go talk to somebody, you hate them because they can't repent. If they don't know what they've done, there's no way that they can repent. So if I come to you and say in confidence about her, let's talk. If I'm telling you the truth, we need to go talk to her so she can get better. And if I'm telling you a lie, we need to go talk to her so I can get better. Got it? That's just practical stuff in the church. Um, so now I'm out. Okay, pause. How are you doing so far? Are you okay? Everybody okay? Questions about anything? I'm going to give you the starkest analogy I can think of. Um, I thought about whether I want to say this to you or not, but I'm going to say it because um, I think it'd be good for you. You can test this as a theory. I, I don't put it to you as um, truth yet. I just put it, if you need a definition for goss- gossip, how's this? Verbal pornography. Okay? And I mean that in the most serious sense. Gossip is verbal pornography. I don't actually, I've talked to you about pornography in the past, but what I want to say to you is, is pornography deep down has a great attraction for almost everybody because it's a, it can have a great attraction because it is um, a corruption of a natural impulse. But more important than that, when people view pornography, they're never the same again. That's why it's so dangerous for kids to see pornography, because they form their images of men and women and sex and life together from an utterly degraded uh, data set. Okay? Gossip is just like that. Pornography ruins everybody who touches it. The people who make it, the people who film it, the people who buy it, the people who watch it. Gossip does exactly the same thing. It degrades everybody that it touches. It ruins the teller, it ruins the hearer, and it ruins the victim. If I could have one wish in the congregation, if I could eliminate one thing beyond idolatry, um, which would clean up every other sin, this would be the one to eliminate. And, you know, it comes easily, it comes naturally. Um, so I'm, ask, I'm being very clear to you. I'm asking you not just to walk away, not just to be silent. I'm asking you to say, if that's true, we need to go see him right now. Okay? It's a new behavior. It's a new way of living, but it's horribly important. Questions about any of that? Still okay? Yes, please. We do need to stop and pray, and I completely agree, but I also, um, after you stop and pray, don't stop. Okay. There's a lot to do after that. Still okay? All right. Then pick up the Luther sheet. We, we read this. Um, this is from the Confessions. We're bound to this. This is our Confessions talk. Uh, it's on one side of, on the other side is Fifth Sunday in Lent. 
But on the other side, it says offering voluntary offertory. We ran it in the bulletin, so I just pulled it out for you to, to run it again. You know, the, these things are run with purpose, that you have them, uh, you know, in front of you, so you can you kind of learn as you go, and we can all get better. So I've, I've had this out there before, but I just, um, I give it to you so you can just kind of take it home and think about it. It's only a part of what's in the large catechism, but nevertheless, there it is. <coughs> I didn't say, but maybe I could say. I was with um, somebody the other day, not from St. John, uh, uh, who said the most brilliant thing. Um, we were talking about a particular sin and that it troubled this person. And uh, the person said, um, I don't do that anymore. It's just not good for me. And I, you know, that is the most basic, <laughs> that is the most basic thing. And maybe we don't say that. You know, why don't you gossip? It's just not good for you. It's not good for you because, real frankly, God's going to punish you. For unrepentant gossip, God's going to punish you. For unrepentant gossip, it breaks the community. For unrepentant gossip, it breaks people. But it's just not good for you. Okay? So try to remember that when you embrace the commandments as your gift from God, as a holy thing, as a good thing for you. Um, it's just not good for you to run against God and his commandments. The Eighth Commandment forbids all sins of the tongue by which we may injure or offend our neighbor. False witness is clearly a work of the tongue. Now I'm going to go to the last sentence there. It applies particularly to the detestable, shameful vice of backbiting or slander. Right? Backbiting is gossip or going back and forth or slander, telling lies about people, by which the devil rides us. Isn't that great? I was thinking on the weekend... um, When we sin, we give the devil rest. And when we give him rest, we strengthen him for the next go-around. That make sense? When we sin, we give the devil rest. He can take the day off, get a little vacation, come back strong tomorrow. Right? The devil rides us. It's great. I mean, it's great Lutheran stuff you got going here. Um, Five lines down in the next paragraph. I may see or hear that my neighbor sins, but to make him the talk of the town is not my business. If I interfere or pass sentence on him, I fall into a greater sin than his. And then later, the last paragraph, he says, um, you go to pastors, you go to judges, and you go to parents. Those are the ones appointed by the fourth commandment to correct other people. Okay? Next paragraph. Those who are called backbiters are not content just to know, but to rush ahead. You see, they go with emotion that doesn't have any data behind it. You rush ahead before you have the facts. To rush ahead and judge. Okay, Learning a little bit of gossip about somebody else, they spread it to every corner, relishing and delighting in it, like pigs that roll around in the mud or root around with their, their snouts. For though you do not wield the sword, that would be you'd have authority as a pastor or as a judge or as a parent. You use your venomous tongue to disgrace and harm your neighbor. Therefore, God forbids. So when you gossip, you're antichrist. Therefore, God forbids you speak evil about one another, even though to your certain knowledge he's guilty. Two lines down. Why shouldn't I speak the truth? I reply, why don't you bring it to a regular judge? Oh, I can't prove it publicly. See, truth isn't truth if you can't prove it publicly. 
Next paragraph. Every report, then, that cannot adequately be proved is false witness. That's hard data. That's thinking. That's witnesses. That's going to people and checking the facts. That's looking for other explanations. That's putting the best construction on things. And then the next line, and this is why people use gossip so easily. It doesn't cost anything. And for honor and good name are easily taken away, but not easily restored. It's easy to lie. And we like lies. And they run fast. And we don't always like the truth. And so if we had to choose, our sinful nature chooses for the lie. The confessions knew that. But, you know, the good news is there's all sorts of forgiveness. And uh, if we could just do a little bit better about in how we talk, and then also what we do. I'm kind of begging you to go to the next level here, that it wouldn't just be walking away, and it wouldn't just be silence. But you'd, in a conversation of two or three or four people, you need to say, this conversation doesn't seem best. We should stop and go see right now. That's part of it. Question in the back. If who won't do that? They won't stop or they won't go? Right. Yeah. Um, if they won't go, it's a, it's a very dicey question. Um, if they won't go, it's clearly outside Christ. Uh, and people can make up all so many excuses for not going, I'm too weak, I'm too scared, I'm too... That's why you have elders. Um, you take your elders to your neighbor and go, I'm afraid of more, blah, blah. Real honestly, it's almost always excuses. If they won't go, it's always a dicey thing. So somebody sins against you, for example, um, and I tell you about it, and I tell them to go and they won't go. It's a, very, it's a very difficult judgment call to decide whether you should go and see that person. One way you might go, so let's say I say to you, Jacqueline's been saying horrible things about you, okay? And I go to Jacqueline, I say, come on, let's go, and you won't go. One poss- and I tell you, these horrible things are being said about you to protect you. <coughs> One possible way to engage it would be for you to come back to Jacqueline and come back to me because one of us is lying. And you wouldn't want the liar to be left in sin. So you could say to Jacqueline, um, Ruzik has said you've said horrible things about me. That can't possibly be true, putting the best construction on it. And then see what she says. Now you have to do that in a way that helps, in a way that means to restore the relationship, in a way that doesn't tries to efface yourself. It's very difficult to efface yourself. We all have trouble with that. But I can tell you what's antichrist is when the conversation never happens. Because whether you know it or not, your relationship is now broken with her, and her relationship with me is now broken. This is broken, and this is broken. Now multiply that times how people talk in the church. You want to know why why congregations get broken? Just multiply that. It's exponential. Okay? And the only way out is the heavy lifting of minding our tongues and then talking to people individually. It's partly why you don't need three pastors in a congregation this size. You need ten pastors. Because this is such heavy lifting and it takes so much. What you really have to do is go talk to people individually. You can't have six or seven or eight hundred people come to church with three pastors or fifteen hundred or two thousand people on the, on the rolls and expect them all to get pastoral attention. They're barely going to get the Eucharist. 
because this is what a pastor is supposed to do, not all the other stuff that pastors are normally assigned to do around here. And as long as you're short pastors, you're short-changed, unless you can screw up the courage to do it yourself and the strength. And we just have to do the best we can, which is why we tell you to come to the Eucharist and come to church and listen and try to act and, you know, keep going. Go ahead. Right. It has to be at a minimum we won't speak of it again. If they won't go at a minimum, you can't ever speak of it again. That's the minimum. But I think you want to continually urge people to do that. Um, but you also mark people. The scriptures talk about marking people and staying away from them when they engage in a particular sin. I mean, we tell our kids, you tell your kids, if your friends do this, get out of the car, call us on a cell phone, we'll come and get you. It's no different than what I'm telling you. If your friends are doing this, step away, call us, we'll come and get you, okay? But you see, the problem with that is, I can give you that, I can give you that, so what happens? If you have that as congregation-wide, so now you're broken with you, and you're broken with you, and you're broken back there, and you're also broken up here, and suddenly the community is shattered, right? And to just act like it doesn't happen doesn't heal it. The only way for it to not happen is for it not to happen or to fix it after it happens. To, to say to somebody, somebody told me that you did something, and not to name who it is and what they've done, is to hate them. It is to hate them deeply. It is to wish them to hell because they're caught in a sin which they can't repent of. It is the most hateful thing you can do to per, a person. Now, the other side of it is, what would it be like, I just give you this, to live in the envelope of truth? What would it be like to live in Eden again, where you can trust everybody and every word is pure and the best construction is always there? What would that be like? That's what we want to recreate here. It was the sermon this morning. Imagine what that could be like and then create it. And you can, in fact, do that through the resurrection, through Christ, through having the Eucharist. Um, it's time. What, here's your assignment for next week, then. At some point, um, young Gainig is going to you know, get a chance again. I tell him that every week for like you know, a couple of months. But what I would love for you to do, please, I, one thing that really needs to be done is to talk about, especially when we've been wronged, is to talk about our feelings of injustice and also um, to talk about how we proceed when we've really been, we've really been hurt. Too, too many times, Christians just think being Christian is taking a beating, uh, no, no, friends. Jesus rose from the dead, and he got busy. And he got busy for the life of the world. So I've given you three pieces. If you can try to read them in order, and you can tell that from the page numbers and also from... So you read the thing from Bailey on the fifth Sunday in Lent about what you do when you've been hurt and what you do about injustice. Then you read the next Bailey piece on um, imagination. This was, this was St. John. When I read this, I thought, there it is, right there. The imagined sin is 100 times worse than the real sin. That's a problem with gossip, you see. Gossip feeds the imagination. It builds a persona. So we think about Jack. We, we gossip about Jack, and we build a persona that has nothing to do with his reality. But it's easy to hate him now because we have this persona, and that's who we hate. And people who won't ever come back and check their data are the people who live in imagined sin. Imagined sin is the heaviest kind. It breaks you because there's no end to your imagination.
crazy stuff. And then the last one by um, Rowan Williams. And, and as you read this, the great line is, if you can take the anger and the bitterness out of, out of the relationship when you seek to correct somebody else. You know, what the, you know what the next bad sin will be? If we actually go talk to her and you give her hell. Because then you're a real Christian, right? Here we go. Rudy spoke the truth. Give him hell. Okay? A real Christian goes, this is great how Bailey says this, with all the anger and the bitterness squeezed out of the relationship. All the anger and the bitterness squeezed out of the encounter. So your focus is wholly other. My sole focus is to restore the other person. This is terribly difficult. But it is the difference between being a great mature Christian and having a great mature congregation and not. Anybody can gossip, anybody can backbite, anybody can sin. That's child's play. That's the world. This is otherworldly. Grow up from milk to meat, right? Advance in the faith. Do good to those who hate you. Turn the other cheek. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's where the hard, that's where the hard, hard life is. That's where the heavy lifting is. But if you can get there, where we indulge each other even in our sins, where we tell each other the truth, but with kindness, with the bitterness squeezed out of it, where we're brave enough to be reconciled, where we're strong enough to act and not just ignore sin. You can't just watch all the Jews being carted off to the ovens. You're no Christian when that happens. You're a Christian when you act as Jesus acts. It's difficult for me. It's difficult for you. I understand that. That's why we go to the Eucharist. That's why Christ lives in us. That's why there's a resurrection. That's why the word is preached. Okay? So take this as a gift and try to work on it. And you, you know, you're, you're, you're very near the angels when this becomes the character of your congregation. Uh, um, you're, you're just near the angels at that point. Thank you very much. Um, please read that bit. We'll talk about that a little bit, um, justice and action, and then uh, we'll do um, the Eighth and Ninth Commandments, and then we've got to kind of swing back around and review everything we've learned before the summertime. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much. Okay, see you next week. Go to the Eucharist.